This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender, experience, and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. Each week, I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to males, females, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender changes over time and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, DC. Episode seven. My guest today is Barbara, who self-identifies as a female service member transitioning to civilian life and an empty nester. Barbara prefers the pronouns she and her. So welcome, Barbara. I am really happy to have you here today. Thanks, Sammy. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I'd like to start off with asking, how do you self-identify? So I identify myself at this point in my life as a female service member transitioning. I'm also an empty nester and looking forward to the next adventure, whatever that happens to be. And, and just this may sound a little funny, but because the nature of this podcast is about gender, when you say transitioning, you don't mean transitioning your gender, you mean transitioning your career, correct? Fair point, yes. Transitioning <laughs> my career after 35 plus years in the military, this tra- it's a big transition for me at this point, yes. So Barbara, knowing that you are coming from the military, I think you wanted to just say something at the beginning of this interview? Yes, thank you. I just want to make sure that everyone knows that's listening, that these are my views only and not to be um, construed as representing the Department of Defense in any way. Great. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. No, I, I'm, I'm very glad that you made that clear. Because truly, the purpose of this podcast is to hear people's personal experience. And, and that's what we're getting here. So... Um, When did you first in your life become aware of different gender roles? So I think as a young person, I was aware of the things that my brother was allowed to do and the things I wasn't allowed to do, or the way my parents treated me versus my brother. I also have a younger sister, but she was much younger than me, so it was a little bit different. My brother was much closer in age. But my brother was allowed to go out and ride his bicycle all over the neighborhood. He was allowed to stay out late. It was much more controlled, the things that I did, even though I was the oldest child. I felt like he got away with more than I got away with. And when I would ask the question, well, how come my brother, how come he gets to do these things? Well, he's a boy. And that was the explanation. Wow. <laughs> Usually it's implicit, but to actually say, how did you respond when they would say And that? I always thought that was unfair. I thought that we shouldn't make a difference, that you're a boy or a girl. Why is that? Why does that make a difference? But I, as, as I grew up, I saw that my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked very traditional family. We didn't have a lot of money growing up, and um, I think I felt like my mom was a little bit would have worked had she had the opportunity to go to college or have some sort of a skill, but she didn't. And when I later found out that when I joined the military, it was sort of one of her sort of secret dreams to oh. have been able to do that. But you know, we're talking like the 1960s when she was, you know, getting out of high school and it just wasn't really done. At least she didn't have any role models 
that would show her that, oh, this would be okay or a good career path for you to go down. And, and I'm just curious, what part of the country are you from? So I grew up in Southern California, largely. I was born in Long Beach. We grew up in a, you know, in that sort of era, area of the country until, yeah, basically until I left home to join the military. It, were there a lot of other military families around you or were, were, were like, kind of what, what brought you to <laughs> want to take that path? So my father had been in the Navy. Of course, the draft was in effect during that time. My uncle had been in the Army. A lot of family members had served because it was required. My, my dad joined the Navy versus getting drafted into the Army. Um, I thought originally, originally I would want to join the Navy. My grandfather had been in the Army. So there was not a, not a lot of people I knew when I was in high school that were currently serving, but there was sort of a history there. And I think back in those days, we're talking about the early 80s now, that a lot of our parents, my friends' parents, all had served in the military because it was required. So even though there wasn't current people serving, I didn't have that day-to-day sort of um, view of it, that it was sort of there. And I'm not, to be honest, I can't even tell you what sort of prompted me to Mm. join the military. The only thing I knew was that I needed to be independent. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that. But when you're 18 years old... What are you going to do to be independent? You can't, you're making a minimum wage. You can't afford to live on your own. And that's the thing I wanted was to be independent. Sort of a, even though I'm not a boy, I'm going to show you sort of attitude. I love it. (laughs) And how did your parents respond when you said, I'm, I'm joining, I'm going? So I'm not sure about my father. We didn't really talk about it. Although he, since he had been in the Navy, he told me to join the Air Force because they had better food in the Air Force. He felt like the quality of life was better in the Air Force. And so my mom, she didn't really say too much except, are you sure this is what you want to do? She later told me when um, I came back on, one, on leave at some point that it was really difficult for her being the oldest child, you know, and as a you know, as a girl, as a woman, to go into the military, largely male dominated, she wasn't really sure what would happen. She, she was concerned. <laughs> she you. was concerned, yes. Yeah. But she didn't tell me that. You know, she just let me go. And to her credit, to I mean, it must credit, have been difficult yeah. not to be not to be very be careful and <laughs> and you know make sure that you're safe and and all that. Yeah. That must have been so hard for her, and that really respect that she let you. <laughs> you know fly uh, open your wings and go because yeah, yeah. I feel like sometimes parents put it's hard as a parent now looking back at it as a parent to let your children go do things that you maybe if you don't agree with or that you are not sure are going to be the best thing but you know they're adults now they have to find their own path so that's really difficult to do and it must have been very difficult for her as well so Barbara, I understood that at one point during your life, you took a gender studies class. And I was curious, what what inspired you to take that class? And where, at what point in your life did you, uh, did you take it? So I think I was looking at it from a, I need another elective and looking at the list. And this looked very interesting to me. Not because I was particularly looking at a women's studies education, but I was sort of surprised they offered a class because at that time there was some sort of stigma attached to women's studies. I feel like that if you were in that realm or you were doing those kinds of studies that people automatically attached a, a label to you. Yes, having <laughs> I, you and I are the, around the same age and it's true. It's like where I went to school as well, if you were in gender studies, you were like 
people wouldn't take you seriously. Somehow you had this agenda that I, I don't even have the words to say it, but yeah, you, you were like discredited if you took gender studies. Well, I mentioned it to a friend I was taking this class and he was like, well, of course you are because you're in the military. And so you're already, identi you're already identified as almost a radical feminist in the sense, even though I never considered myself that way. But because, of, you know, in the military, taking this class, looking at these sorts of issues and questioning the patriarchy, so to speak, then that makes you a radical feminist, obviously. I'm curious, how did you respond when he or other people said things like that to you? It's interesting because you can't, you feel like no matter how you respond, it's not going to be taken seriously. So if you protest too much, then, oh, then obviously that's true for you. If you don't protest, then it's like an acceptance. So it's sort of a, you know, Darned if you do, darned if you don't type of scenario. So in my case, I choose just not to engage that because I felt like it wasn't really worth the effort. And that person already has their views. It's very difficult to change people's views. So they, I think they, they'll change their views based on how they see you acting and how you treat people in other areas of your life, not so much what you say. Did anything change for you? before the class versus during or after the class in terms of your perspective or how you saw yourself or the world that you were in? I feel like it was a natural evolution for me. I was already sort of starting to question things and look at from, from the perspective of the experiences that I had had in the last you know 10 or so years in the military. It sort of made some things crystallize. Hey, this is and then I can't remember since it's been so long exactly what we studied, right? But I remember the overall theme was sort of a historical, you know, suffrage, women's suffrage and these, you know, getting the vote and, and all these things that sort of my, historic milestones, but also more of a general feeling that this is sort of the, we're just unearthing the issues that we need to be engaged in. So I don't think it necessarily changed anything for me, but made it made me more aware of, of gender issues and, and gender stereotypes sort of in my life and then, you know, looking around me, obviously. Barbara, do you find that you, either in your past or currently, confront gender issues in the workplace or is it a non-issue for you? <laughs> so obviously in the military, I call it the hyper-masculine culture. The Air Force, maybe not quite as much, but in the other services, and I've done a lot of work in with the other services, and so you see varying degrees of it. So for me personally, I came into the military in, in the early 80s, and when I joined, there weren't other women. There were a handful of us, basically. We didn't have women's bathrooms. What? Really? <laughs> so you had you had a door. I mean, they had the, a sign on the door, and, it, and you flipped it, you know, men, women, but you know, I would walk in, flip the sign, go into the stall. As I would come out, there'd be three guys at the urinal. So it, it wasn't, after a while, it, it became a non-issue. And what I was told was, this is a man's world, sweetie. You're just going to have to get used to it. And so I find that in the day-to-day, -day, there was a day-to-day -day sort of marginalizing of women. Mm -hmm. You need to be the one to take out the trash. You need to be the one to sweep the shop. I was in aircraft maintenance working on airplanes. So when I would go out to learn, when I came out of school and was at my assignment to learn how to work on these airplanes, you would go out to a job and you, oh, 
you hold the flashlight, go get me these tools, this sort of attitude. And after a while, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I started to to push back to say, well, maybe I should be doing this and you should be holding the flashlight so that I can learn how to do it. And so it was an education for the men I was working with as well, because a lot, a lot of them were young like me. And then there was a group of older gentlemen who were in charge, who had very defined views. Some were more open to the idea of having women working on airplanes and doing this maintenance. Other men were very much against it. Mm-hmm. We could talk about social harassment. We could talk about all those things. Fortunately for me, I was never really, I was never raped or seriously assaulted. There were obviously many, many, I'll just call them harassments or minor assaults where people feel like it's okay for them to touch you or to um, to say things to you that that are inappropriate. And that when you're young and you're trying to fit in, it's a really hard balance. It's a hard thing to walk in between those two worlds to try to fit in and do your job and be respected as a professional, yet you're you're dealing with this, oh, hey, you know, just rub up against you or, you know, touch you inappropriately because they feel like that's their right somehow. I think it's really important for people to know how it was and if it's changing and how it is today and and to not deny where talking we meaning us as a country you know where we were where the services were and to not sweep that stuff under the rug and so i really appreciate you sharing that how do you see it today because you've been describing how it was in the 80s so a couple of decades later how have you seen it evolve either in your service or in the other services or has it evolved so i believe it has evolved on a lot of levels and in some ways maybe not as much as it needs to. The first thing I'll say is I believe that it's important, the, the sheer number of women that are in the military make up 14-ish percent of military writ large, just that there are more women there. So you, now you have you know, comrades, so to speak. You have other women. You see women who have who've been successful, who are higher ranking. You see women, office, you know, general officers. You see women, senior enlisted folks. So you have those role models now, which we didn't have back then. Um, so I think that's super important to be able to see yourself because it was hard for me to see myself as a, as a young enlisted person. It was hard for me to see myself attaining the senior enlisted ranks because there weren't other women that had done that. And then when I became an officer... I started to see women who were higher in rank than me. So now I can see myself right in that role. But in other ways, I feel like sometimes we are not as progressive as we could be. We still, there's still lots of assaults, lots of rapes, lots of things that shouldn't happen. And I think that there's two, in my mind, there's two kind of reasons for that. One is that we are not, we don't take it seriously enough because the military is a microcosm of society. It's just the same things that are in society or in the military. We like to think that we don't have sexual predators or other folks in the military who are bad actors, but of course we do. Of course, of course, of course they are. Um, and then, but but we also have a lot of people that are taking it very seriously and trying to work to to make you know fundamental change. But the one thing I would say to women is that we also need to be standing in our right to be in this uniform, to be in this space. And when someone acts appropriately or someone touches us inappropriately or whatever, I think we oh we we are we need to be able to stand in our right and say, that was inappropriate, I don't appreciate it, and don't do it again. 
Because my career, I found that when I've been forthright with people, like I didn't appreciate that joke or please don't use those words in front of me or whatever it is, that most men will not do that. But sometimes there are those that do and then that's where the system will help you take care of that. But I don't know that women have been given permission on some level to say, this is wrong and I don't have to put up with it. And just to do that one-on-one with people is because we want to be the peacemakers. We want to get along. We want to be part of the team. And so if I call you out on something now, then that makes everyone uncomfortable. And it took me a while to get to that point in my life. But I don't know that we're doing a good job of teaching women or empowering them to stand in their own truth and their own right to be in this space and say, you have every right to be here just as much as that man has to be here. If he does something that you find inappropriate or makes you feel uncomfortable, then you should tell him that it makes you feel uncomfortable so that we can kind of nip it in the bud. And if we don't do that, then that person thinks that it's okay and they go a little bit further the next time. Barbara, thank you. Because what you've, what you've just said beautifully is not just a phenomenon in the military. I'm it sure. Have, you know, I've worked in nonprofit with government, international organizations, private sector. What you describe exactly happens in pretty much every segment of society. I think your words are very, very wise. And we, we have to talk about it. We have to bring it up to the light because people think they're alone. Absolutely. And I feel that, yes, there are mechanisms in place in, in companies, in the military, in, in other agencies. There are mechanisms to protect people. But I feel like it starts with you. And sometimes you can't, I mean, not to take away from people who have been violently treated. They shouldn't go to their attacker and say, I don't appreciate this. Obviously, they need to use the system that's in place for their protection and for them to heal. But when it's the minor, and I feel like it's the insidious day-to-day minor little, the jokes and the digs and the different, you know, things that, that happen that we sort of discount or boys will be boys, or that sort of attitude. And we as women don't call them out on it when it's low level, because sometimes that's very uncomfortable. Um, so we don't do that, and then it gets worse. It gets a little bit worse, it gets a little bit worse. And then women, I've known women who said, I separated from the military because of these things, or, I've, or I um, went in and did another job, or I've or I've decided to take my life in a different direction, and now they have a bad taste in their mouth, or they feel bitter towards the military because they feel like they weren't protected. But we're not empowering them to stand in their own truth to that degree. And so I feel like that's unfortunate, writ large, because the more diversity we have, the more people that think differently and act differently, the better we are. We talk about the importance of having women at the table. And what you're describing is why, like, it's one of the many, many reasons why it's so important to have women at the table, to have women not marginalized in a little box over to the side, but part of these decision-making processes and the, and the planning and in there having our perspective. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, but that's what I hear when I hear you talk. Yes, I think it's important for women, people of color, I think it's important for us to have a diverse set of people at the table making decisions because I find that too often, even today, there's still, it's too homogenous in the military. And I look at, you know, the, <clears throat> the leadership profiles on people, and I'm still sometimes still a little bit disconcerted that we really have, how have we come? How far have we come? You know, I've had terrific women leaders that I've worked with and for, but I feel like 
we're still working to get some sort of parody in there and and to try to make it it's much stronger i feel like when we're when we're more diverse and certainly it, it sometimes will take longer to get a decision it'll take longer you have to work through some more issues but at the end when you come to the final point then that is a much better and stronger position than you would have had otherwise. Because I once heard someone say, if you have a yes man working for you, then one of you is redundant. <laughs> right? So I've never heard that. That's good. But as a leader, you want that, you know, I want to make sure when I was in command that I wanted to be giving the best decisions. I wanted to be making the best decision for all concerned, not just what I thought was the best. And so you encourage people to say, hey, I mean, of course, there's a there's a chain of command and there's a respect for rank in there, but there's ways to do that respectfully, to sit in a room and say, here's what we're thinking. I need all of your opinions. And if you really create that environment where people feel comfortable giving you the dissenting view, then that you're much, much more successful. What do you think is possible today in the current environment or in the current conversation around gender that was not possible even just two or three years ago? I think the most important part of this is for the young women that are out there. It, it opens up a whole world for them that wasn't possible, for example, when I was younger. I feel that I had several... There were several career paths open to me, very gender. Even when I, I talked to a Navy recruiter initially before I joined the Air Force, and at the time, women weren't allowed to be on ships. And so I looked at the recruiter, why would I want to join the Navy if I can't be on a ship? Isn't that the point of being in the Navy, right? And he said, well, you can be a cook or you can be a secretary. And I said, I don't need to join the military to do those things. I can do those things here. And, but the Air Force offered me something that I had never considered, you take a test called the ASVAB, and it gives you scores, and then that will determine what military jobs they can put you in. So you have an aptitude for certain skills. So when I, I scored high in electronics, who knew, right? I never picked up a tool probably my whole life up to that point. And the recruiter, the Air Force recruiter told me, you can go be an aircraft mechanic. And, and I was like, really? <laughs> like, I can really do this? And so I did. But had that not happened, I would not have known that those kinds of jobs were open. So in the military, we've opened all jobs to women, right? We've In society, we've seen women do lots of things that weren't we would have never considered as young women. And so I think the most important conversation is about what the next generation of women who are going to be able to, to break through even more glass ceilings and, and do more things and make and have a seat at the table and have more parity in the world writ large, in the corporate world, in the military world, you know, pick pick an area. So I think that's the most important part of the the conversation and the and the things that have happened recently that some people had to suffer through the painful part of the change in order for to, to clear the path, right, for other women. Thank you, Barbara. What you have said, not only is it a hundred percent true, it's so important for the perspective that what is possible today, we, we owe a debt to the women who came before us, who broke those barriers, like, like we're standing on their, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants, and you're one of those women, and I wanna say thank you. No, truly, because it's not just, we need both. We need people who are, you know, the bright, shiny, famous leaders, the names that we know, but we also need women like 
you who are in the trenches, literally, <laughs> like literally and figuratively, who are standing up, who on a daily basis in their personal interactions are saying, speaking their mind and saying what is true. And, you know, what, what you've laid out, where especially younger women can go today due to people like you who have put up with a lot of crap, you know, a lot of real difficult stuff. So thank you for that. Oh, it's been actually, it's been a great, it's been my great honor to do the, the work that I've done. And I feel that it was sort of a calling, even though maybe at 18, I didn't really know that it was a calling. Um, but I, but I think that there's so many women. I was at a women's leadership symposium earlier this week, and there was 400 or so military women and veterans who were in the audience. A few men too, but mostly women. And I just looked at the young women that were there. You know, the young sailors, the young Marines, the young airmen, the young, the young officers, and some cadets from the Naval Academy and the Air Force Academy were there. And I was like, "This, how great is this? And how great that we have this opportunity to come together as a community to talk about specifically about women's issues, but about military issues and leadership and those kinds of things as well. So it was, it was like, it's almost as I prepared to, to transition and retire from the military, it's like, okay, now I can leave understanding that. We're in good hands. We're carrying the torch. You know, things are going forward. You see women graduating from ranger school and doing special ops and things that would not, would, I mean, probably was never even thought of, you know, when I, when I joined the military, but see how far we've come, you know, with allowing openly, you know, gave members to serve and be married and, and allow their spouse to have all the, the benefits that they're due and they're entitled to. So there's been so much change that's, if you look back on it, it seems like maybe it took us a long time to get there. But we're there, and I think it was it only improved for women going, you know, going forward. Thank you, and um, you know, it, it's it's interesting. One, just just I, sometimes I feel like I just need to call something out. Obviously, there are certain things happening in the military today with other communities where we're just in this conversation. We're not going there, so I just want to acknowledge that that each guest we're focusing on a particular topic and. I hope that I am able to speak to somebody at a later date where we can go there. But, um, but thank you for, for raising that. Barbara, do you have any goals or dreams that you chose not to pursue? It's interesting because I had never considered what I had not pursued because I focus on what I had pursued, understanding that you can't do everything. So I often, when I'm mentoring with people, and I mentor as many men as I do women, I think it's really important for, for men to have the perspective from the, from the female perspective, I'll say. Um, but what I tell people is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Yes. <laughs> because I've seen so many smart and smart, wonderful people who, who can't really decide what it is that they want to do. And so they are almost paralyzed with the choices that are out there. And so... So you sort of have to, to decide, hey, I'm going to go down this path, understanding that I'm not going to be able to do these other things. And that's very difficult because I think the younger you are, the more possibilities you see and the harder it is to make that choice. And so for me, I felt like the military offered oppor kept offering me the next opportunity. So, for example, it offered me the opportunity to, to go to school. So when I was a young enlisted person, they said, hey, hey if you take a college class... It looks good on your performance report, and we'll put you in for this, you know, court and an award. 
And then, then that led to another class. And then we have, then the, oh, I can get this associate degree if I take these other classes. And then that led to, oh, I can get a bachelor's degree if I take these other classes. And then it led to, oh, we can commission you and make you an officer, which then led to other opportunities and then going to school, get a couple master's degrees and things. So I felt like that, that path was, was, it kept offering me the next opportunity. I believe if I had run up against a wall where I felt like there weren't opportunities, I would have pursued a different way. I never felt like gender held me back in the military. I felt like there were some things that you had to work through. But maybe because when I was joining the military, I didn't know what else I wanted to do. A lot, I, I have family members that wanted to do specific things. They always wanted to do this their whole life. They had this passion, and so they, you know, pursued it. I always felt like, I don't know that, I don't know what I want to do. This sounds as good as anything for the moment. Let me go do this. And then as I was in it, the opportunities came. So I never really had a an outside, oh, I always wanted to do this or that. But now that I'm older and transitioning and now... In a, in a financially stable position where now I can explore some more opportunities, mm-hmm. then, then I think that my experience now will, will frame out the types of things I do in the future. Like I would actually like to write a little bit. I would love to be able to, um, to continue with mentoring young people and work, especially with young women, maybe just opening the aperture for them to say, there's all these possibilities of things. And I especially find that's true that for lower socioeconomic class of people that they don't see they can't see what's possible for them so how do we allow them to see what's possible and then allow them to pursue those opportunities Barbara can you give me an example or tell me about a time in your life when you decided to push on even though gender expectations or gender norms told you not to I think that was largely the first part of my adult life when I first joined the military, I was in a situation working on airplanes and doing things that were fairly dangerous <laughs> at times. It would have been easy, and I saw a lot of women leave the military because it didn't, because it was difficult in those times. You didn't have role models. There weren't a lot of other women that you could sort of you know band together with. I think I lived in a dormitory where I had a female roommate, but I think ours was the only room that was female, and mm-hmm. men were surround you know surrounding us. That experience, like I said earlier about, you know, you hear little lady, you know, the sort of mentality, you hold the flashlight. So I think it would have been easy to like run away from that. And I don't know exactly what it is. So it has to be something inside you that makes you want to persevere. Almost like a, I will show you, you think I can't do this. And I had that said to me, oh, you're never going to be a good mechanic or you're never going to be a good electrician because you're a woman. Women don't understand how these things work. Women can't use tools, you know, on and on and on. So that almost, it, you know, it, it, it made me want to succeed even more. It made me more stubborn. <laughs> and, okay, I'm not going to quit just because you think I can't do it or I'm not going to quit just because it's difficult or that if you're challenged to, to learn the job or to get these certain skill sets that you need, just because you think I shouldn't be here, I'm going to show you that, <laughs> that I'm going to do the job and I should be here and that I can do it. Is there something that you would like regular people, you know, not talking about politicians or celebrities or things like that, but just regular people in the United States to start doing to make a change around gender now? I think it's to have conversations. 
I think it's to reach out to people that are different than you and have and understand where they're coming from. You know, without getting into politics, I feel that we've come to some sort of a, of a, a precipice in our country where we can either go over the cliff and be divisive and be separated, or we can start to come together. And so to talk to people and to learn from them what it is like for them, where they're coming from, the personal stories that people tell, the understanding that that we did not have the same upbringing, um, how do you see the world, how do I see the world? I feel like there's common ground, but we're not seeking it. We're not looking for the common ground because we're looking for our opinion to be reinforced. So find that person, you know, engage in groups where you're able to it's a diverse group. We're able to reach out and talk to people who are different than you because we tend to glom on to folks who are like us, right? And when this is natural, I think as humans, we want our tribe, we want our, our group of folks. And so I'm comfortable in this group and we all agree. But when you step out of that comfort zone and you go talk to people who are different, even just listening to podcasts or or, or television shows or different things that, that show a different perspective, I think that's valuable to start to bridge that, that divide. So... That's my, the thing is we need to be more, we need to have more conversations and quit looking at your phone and quit liking the things on Facebook that are the the same, everything you agree with or putting out your political agenda. Because what happens is now you've created this barrier. When you say, this is what I agree with and this is, other people won't engage you because they're like, well, we know what she stands on that. Um, But when you open up and and you're more open to the conversation or when you're more open to sitting down over tea or coffee and saying, let's have a conversation about why you feel this way. Again, it goes back to the diversity and inclusion, the much stronger. I mean, I think the country will be much stronger the more we try to bridge those divides and and come together um, as a country and understanding because we're all, you know, we're all human. If you cut us, don't we all bleed, right? It's that that mentality. So I think that... and personally, I'm passionate about women, and I think that we have to somewhat lead the change to some degree, right? I tell my husband, when we let men muck it up for you know a long time, so maybe we can start to go in a different direction. Yeah, I yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you know it's it's interesting. In addition to doing this podcast, which I love because I'm I'm able to talk to people like you from different backgrounds. Also listening to other stuff that people are putting out there, and I, I heard one thing. Uh, he was talking about friendship and democracy, and every time I see the word democracy, my ears perk up because that's you know my background, where I'm coming from. And he said that becoming friends with people from backgrounds different from our own, what that enables us is to find places where we have things in common that we can establish trust. And then when we start talking about the things that we don't have in common, it is much harder to walk away because you've already built some sort of bond based on something where you do have a commonality. And I really like the way that he put that, like some of the examples he was talking about was, you know, whether like if if either from a faith-based community or I was thinking about music, you know, for me, music's really important. And I've met people within the music world where we are coming from very different backgrounds. And that since I know like, well, we're both, you you love music. You can't be that bad. (laughs) You know, is it, it is that because I, I've really just been thinking so much lately, how do we get outside of our bubble? How do we have opportunities to engage with other people? 
Well, first thing you have to do is get off the couch, and <laughs> leave yeah. your house, which sometimes can be difficult if you're, it's, it's easy to, oh, I've worked a long week and I'm tired and, 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 and I find myself doing this sometimes too, if not wanting to leave and go out, but that's, you have to, first thing you have to do is step outside your house. So I think you have to seek those things out you have to be sort of purposeful about it. So other organizations can be helpful if you belong to any kind of professional organization attached to your career or if you're just interested in something. Um, The podcast and the listening to books and things, I think try to seek out just things that you wouldn't normally ask your friends for recommendations. Um, My my personal transition out of the military is all about finding out what my new identity will be, right? Once I've made, I fully made this, you know, once I fully retired and now, okay, well, who am I? What am I going to do? But I think military folks struggle with that because the military is sort of becomes, you know, who you are. So when I take off the uniform and I'm now in civilian clothes walking down the street, nobody knows, <laughs> you know, who I am or what I've done. But I think it's incumbent upon us. I think we have to seek that out. So listening to podcasts or radio shows and other things and, and learning about it. Like in D.C., there's any number of organizations or any number of events that you could go to where there were going to be people different from you. Maybe it's a more of a challenge in a smaller area where maybe it's a little bit more homogenous. There's not as much diversity. But in D.C., there's almost no excuse because <laughs> there are so many things happening here. But I think just, just making an effort to initiate a conversation to say, oh, I, you know, I see that you're... Um, I hear that you're speaking German. Or I hear that you're speaking Spanish. You know, where do you come from originally? The Uber drivers or the taxi drivers, right? Just folks, it's always fun to strike up a conversation. I don't think I've had an Uber driver in, the, in D.C. yet that is actually was born in this country. I've had right? one. <laughs> <laughs> right? right? They're typically born someplace else. And right. so it's so fascinating to, why, you know, so you came here. Why did you come here? Yeah. And, and what have you done since you've been here? How long have you been in D.C.? Were you always in D.C.? Or did you live in another part of the United States? And so it's just so fascinating to have those conversations and understand that, the people are largely after the same things. Everyone's largely after. They want to be you know, successful. They want to take care of their families. So understanding that people are largely after the same thing. Yeah, there are crazy people out there, obviously. But for the most part, we're all sort of similar in that. We want, we want a good life. We want to take care of our families. We want to enjoy people. So I, I think that what makes us the same as much more than, than what divides us, but I think it's easy to look at someone and see that they're different and make a judgment that, well, they're not like me, or they're not like you, or we must band together against them. And I think that's unfortunate because it makes our lives much more bland and not as rich as they could possibly be. Thank you. I particularly appreciate something that you said a moment ago about making an effort to initiate a conversation. And just going back to when we were talking about gender in the workplace, what kinds of conversations do you find yourself having at work? Or can you give me an example? Are we having, for example, when when someone's gonna be coming into the environment, we get information that says, oh, this person is coming. And so they look at it and say, okay, is it a man or is it a woman? You know, and the first question, if it's a man, they're like, has anybody worked with him? Do they know if he's a, if he's a good worker, if he's competent, you know, whatever, which is a valid question. But when it's a female, it seems like the first question is, what does she look like? 
you know, all these kinds of things that men will ask. I said, that's, that's not appropriate. The same questions should be asked. Do we anybody know this person? Is she a good worker? Is she good at her job? So I think that just if you raise the awareness to men, sometimes that will be enough to get them to think, oh, I guess that really, from, it's not, doesn't really sound fair, right? doesn't really sound like the questions that we should be asking. Um, but I think it's just, a, it's almost, sometimes it is tiring. It feels like it's almost a little bit of a constant battle because it's so insidious and it's so much a part of our culture that you could almost be calling people out on <laughs> things all the time. time like, uh, yes. <laughs> right. So, but I think the ability to like, hey, let's like, let's have the opportunity. Like in the military, we have the opportunity to travel together or to be in more situations outside of work per se. So I find those opportunities are valuable. If I'm traveling with someone, um, another another male colleague or whatever, and we're at, we're at the airport or we're, you know, sitting having lunch somewhere or something or just you know kind of hanging out after work or comparing notes on a subject, that those are really good opportunities to to have the conversation. To did you notice how this person you know said this to this other person? Or I noticed that you know I said I w- I could say I feel I felt uncomfortable when this person said the words he said to this other person. In whatever context, and so just kind of bring things to their attention, those opportunities, and and when you're deployed, when you're living and working with these people 24/7 for months on end, is another good opportunity to let them sort of see you. Because I'll go back to what I said earlier: people are not impressed by what you say; they're more impressed by watching your actions and the way that you are and treat people. And so, a lot of times we talk about we have these programs for inclusion and we have a program for this or that in the military we love in the dod to have programs for things right but if i said the program should just be treat everyone with dignity and respect if we do that then we don't need these other programs because now we're treating everyone in a way that that we should be treating them we're listening to their to their views and opinions we're treating them like they're human and that they are they're important so, so that's my, I take the opportunity to have conversations with people and sometimes even with other women, because I find that women can sort of try to become masculine themselves and that's fine. We're all on a different, you know, it's a, it's a continuum, right? We're not all super girly, right? We're not all super athletic. We're sort of, you know, a whole spectrum. And I think that when I first joined the military, I had to, I tried to fit in with the men. So I tried to cuss and, and tried to be, you know, you know, have that swagger and these kinds of things, right? Which I realized pretty quickly, and I tell young women this all the time, you can be part of the team. You can absolutely be integral to that team success. You cannot be one of the guys. And I've seen women try to do that. I tried to do that. And it's not, it's not effective. So you need to, to value yourself and, and understand that you have value and that you intrinsically are need and are allowed to be there and to be part of the team but to not lose yourself in that thank you thank you and as a matter of fact i think that's a lovely way to bring that question to a close uh barbara i'm so pleased that you came i've just so appreciated your perspective and really my last question is there anything else you'd like to add either on something that we've already touched upon or a topic that i did not raise so i think it's important for young women especially to 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 look at the military as something to consider in the future. There's lots and lots of opportunities there. And I feel like sometimes we look at, and we 
and the military appreciate the American support, especially since 9-11, there's been a total shift in the way the military has been viewed. And so that has been really, it's a wonderful as a military person for people to say, thank you for your service and to have that recognition. But I also think sometimes we view military people as broken, as if everyone that's been in the military has deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan and they all have PTSD. And and for certainly for those people who do, those absolutely imperative that those services are available to them to help them heal from that. But large part of the military has not suffered PTSD or has not um, been engaged in combat and is, is you know, still doing the day-to-day mission that needs to happen. So I think there's a lot of opportunities, and I would hate to see that people automatically assume that if you join the military, then then you're going to be broken when you come out. So I want folks to understand that there's a, there's it's, a con- again, a continuum, and there's many, many opportunities and things you can do in the military, in the DOD, in the government. You know, s- service is is a calling, but service is also important to our country writ large. So I feel like it's important to say, think about how you're serving your country and how you're serving your community and your fellow man writ large. Thank you so much, Barbara. This has been such a pleasure. And again, just thank you for coming today. Thank you. It's been fun. You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender, experience, and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. I see each conversation as an adventure, and I love being surprised by where we go. If you find you had any questions during the discussion, I'd really like to know. You can submit your questions on the website, yourownvoice.org contact. Your Own Voice is produced by your host with IT support from Alex Moreno and is registered with ProtectRight, music by Kevin McLeod. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in one or two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.